the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've arrived at the fourth Sunday of Lent, which tells us we are just beyond the halfway point now of our journey through the Lenten season. And the church has given the name of this Mass in the wisdom of Christ. And the name of this Mass is Laetare. Laetare, a Latin word that means to rejoice. Even more than just rejoice, be exceeding joyful, exceedingly joyful. In fact, if we had rose-colored vestments, today would be the day that we would wear those rose-colored vestments. Why? Another sign to us is this is a day to remember that even in the midst of a season of repentance, that our hearts are to be lightened. They're to be filled with joy because of the work of Christ that He is doing within us. It's a Sunday that our Lord reminds us of something so incredibly important that ought to be the disposition of the Christian and the very life experience of the Christian every moment of every day. A life that's lived such as St. Paul talks about in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 4, where he proclaims to the church, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, if there ever was a time we needed to hear those words resound. To rejoice and to be anxious for nothing. It's now. That is the Christian. Rejoice, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayers and supplications with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And, and then St. Paul gives a promise to the Christian who lives and dwells with a rejoicing spirit filled with joy for all that Christ has done. And that promise is, is this. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Lent, as we know, it's a season where we are brought back really to the true Christian calling in life. It is a season where we engage the gift of God, repentance. Truly a gift from God to us. But you know, sometimes all of us do this. Sometimes we all seem to feel that the idea of rejoicing and being exceedingly joyful and repenting or repentance are at odds with each other. And this is so unfortunate. And I tell you that that is our enemy pricking our flesh. That rejoicing and repentance would ever be at odds. When we get into that mode of thinking, we forget the activity of our Lord Jesus Christ, who acts so mightily on our behalf for our salvation as we turn to Him in that blessed repentance. For that's where we see His healing work in our lives the greatest, the most clearly. It's as St. Paul also wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 2. He says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, 
forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That word goodness, it means this. It is the benevolence of God that leads you to turn to Him with all of your frailties and brokenness. It is His loving kindness for you that calls your life to come to Him in repentance. How then, if repentance is literally born out of the loving kindness, the benevolence of God, how can we see it as something to keep at arm's length? Something to be afraid of? Something to turn away from? And not run to? Not run to? And so today, right in the middle of a season where repentance, the calling to it is right before us, we are called to rejoice and find our joy again. The Lord wants to show us probably the greatest reason that we have to rejoice and be exceeding joyful. But to see it, my friends, we are going to have to have a slight change of mind. What do I mean by that? So many of us get caught up where we see ourselves. Yes, we see our sin. We see our frailties. We see our dysfunctions and our brokenness. We see those things. But we don't see ourselves clearly through the eyes of Christ. The second part of that is we tend to get warped in the way that we even perceive that Jesus looks upon us. And that's what we want to look at today. Because what will bring joy to every Christian soul is getting the very heart of God and how He truly sees you and all that He wants to do for you despite all of those dysfunctions and sinfulness and illness of the soul. In fact, He came to wipe away those very things. I want to offer you three stories from the Gospels that show this. Three stories of three different people who looked at themselves a certain way or others saw them a certain way. Whether it was because of a physical condition or a spiritual condition. And we see very clearly in these Gospels how our Lord saw them and what He did for them. And by the way, I could read the whole Gospels, every last one of them to you, and it would show all this. Because what is the Gospel? It's Jesus Christ and He is the good news for the despairing soul. But I offer you three examples, and I pray that you'll see yourselves spiritually or physically in these. But more importantly, I pray that as you look at our Lord Jesus Christ in these stories, you will understand his heart for you in such a way that you will run to him with all of the things that you need healing and restoration within your life. So let's take a look at these three. From the Gospel of St. Mark in chapter 1. We had this just a few short weeks ago. In the Gospel of St. Mark in chapter 1, we have the man with leprosy who comes to Jesus for healing. Now remember what leprosy is. It is a horrid disease. I've seen it face to face. Our youth group that I had, that I was in, in, in high school, we actually went to a leper colony in Louisiana and, and did music for them and visited with them there where they were. And I know what this disease does. It, it is a hideous disease. 
It will wrench your soul to see the suffering of people who have this. And in fact, back then, anyone who had leprosy by the law of Moses was an outcast of the community. They had to be put out away from so that that disease would not spread. But they were outcasts. In fact, they were the untouchables. No one would even dare come close enough to see them, much less to think to touch a leper. Let me tell you something about someone with leprosy. Not only are they dealing with physical suffering, but they're dealing with shame within themselves because of the way that everybody else looks upon them all of their days. The leper comes to Jesus. How does Jesus see this man? Now, Jesus knows he has leprosy, but he sees a man that he knit together in his mother's womb. He sees a man that he breathed the soul and life into within that womb, even at conception. And what does Jesus do? He sees the man's condition and he reaches his hand right into that condition. Not only does he break, barring him from community, but he reaches right into his disease and he physically touches it. And when he touches the leprosy, this man's skin and nerves and everything that had decomposed because of this was made whole and he was restored by the very eyes of everybody that beheld him. And this man got up and was so filled with joy. Can you imagine after lifelong leprosy that someone would come to me in this hideousness and touch me and redeem me and release me and make me whole that's the heart of Christ for you, for me. In the Gospels of Mark in chapter 3, we have another story where we have a man with a withered hand. This is a man who was born with a withered hand, which means it was paralyzed. And if you've ever seen a paralyzed withered hand, it is a lot skinnier than the other arm and hand because of lack of use. There's no muscle to it. It's hardly anything but bone and ligament and ligaments that don't even work. If you've ever seen someone who is physically disfigured, it can be a little off-putting at first. And the reason it's off-putting at first is because most of us are not disfigured and we see that and it looks so entirely different. And we see that difference and we experience it. This was an abnormality to God's creation. It was never intended to be. And this man stands there before Christ. And how does Jesus see the man? He looks upon the frailty. But he looks beyond the frailty and the abnormality and the weakness of this man's arm. And he sees what this man can be. And he sees what this man should be. And he sees what he came to make this man. And he tells the man, stretch forth your arm. And in that moment, a man who had never used this arm before, as he reaches out and stretches it out, all the muscles grow and the ligaments strengthen and he's able to use it no different than his other arm. God took the deficiency of the man and Christ became the completeness for him. And he made him whole. Let's look at a spiritual condition. And we're all very familiar with this story from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 9. And that's blessed short Zacchaeus. 
Now we need to understand something about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. The gospel tells us he was a chief tax collector, one of the tops. And these tax collectors, we need to understand something about them and how they were seen by society, by the Hebrews. A tax collector in that day worked for the civil authorities to collect taxes from the Jews, from the Hebrews. Unfortunately, they didn't just co collect the taxes. They over-collected the taxes and they would line their pockets with the excess. What are we talking about? A Hebrew person working for the civil government robbing his own people. These men, the tax collectors, were seen as traitors at best. But in reality, we know from that culture that they were seen as even less than human. For the work, they were dogs for what they did to their own people. And when Jesus is coming to Jericho, we know that Zacchaeus... He had heard about this Jesus. And so he, in order to see him in this vast crowd that had gathered together, he shimmies up a tree just so he can see Jesus. And we know how the people saw Zacchaeus. And we know that Zacchaeus saw himself as a sinner. We find that out in the story. And Zacchaeus, when he's up in the tree, how is it that Jesus sees Zacchaeus? All of all these people in the crowd, and it was a throng, Following Jesus at this point. Of all these people in the crowd. He goes straight up to who? Zacchaeus. The sinner. The robber of his own people. The robber of God's people. And he goes to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. For today I stay at your house. Can you imagine what the people were thinking? Can you imagine the shock of Zacchaeus that Jesus would approach someone who done such things to his own people? Today I must stay at your house. Jesus, knowing all that Zacchaeus had done, does not pause for a second to go right to him. He comes in and he dwells with this sinner, this robber, this traitor. He doesn't pause at all. Zacchaeus is transformed, we find out, by the fellowship with Christ in his home. And the loving kindness that Christ showed to Zacchaeus. To the repentance that when he repented, Jesus touched it and relieved him and filled him with joy. And we see that joy. Listen to it. Listen to Zacchaeus' joy in repentance. The scriptures tell us, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore them fourfold. My friends, this is repentance. This is amendment of life that is filled with joy. You can hear his joy. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Notice it didn't say that the Son of God has come to look upon your sin, be disgusted, and turn you away from it. 
It says the Son of Man has come directly to seek and save all that was lost. That is to redeem and make whole all that was broken and dysfunctional. For this reason, He came. It's as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, and this is the summary of the Gospel. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now St. Paul tells us that ministry. That ministry is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now listen to this. Not counting men's sins against them. St. John Chrysostom says it perfectly when he comments on St. Paul's words. St. John Chrysostom said, Can you see how great God's love is for us? Who was the offended party? God was. Who took the first steps to reconcile the offender? God did. Is there a better reason, my friends, to litare, to rejoice? To be exceedingly joyful. Our God knows and he sees very clearly our weaknesses and frailties and sinfulness and again our dysfunctions. He knows them before we even turn to him. But he does not pause. He does not wince. He does not turn away from us. Not from one soul that will turn to Him longing for the mercy that He longs to give. Because His disposition is compassion. And He is immeasurable love and limitless mercy. Always. He reaches right into what is unforgivable to us, that is unreconcilable in our own minds, and He grants us the opposite, His divine mercy. No different than he did to the leper struggling physically. No different than he did to the man with the withered hand or the sinful robber of God's people, Zacchaeus. And the result when he does so is that in those moments, those blessed moments of repentance, which is that act of turning to him and crying out for mercy, he mends us. And he makes us whole because this is who he is and this is what he came to do. Therefore, my friends, don't think about it. Run to turn to the Lord with your weaknesses and your shame. And he will exchange it in those moments with exceeding joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.